Before thee let my cry come near, O Lord, true to thy word, teach me before thee. We are thankful that you are able to join us today as Pastor Mark Robinette preaches another sermon at Foundation Church here in Mount Sterling, Ohio. If this message is an encouragement to you, and we pray that it will be, please consider taking the time to go to www.foundationfellowshipchurch.org and let us know. Thank you, and may the Lord richly bless you through His Word. Let my lips thy praise confess, yea, of thy word my tongue would sing, yea, Greetings this Lord's Day in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, our Savior, and our King. Greetings. It is a wonderful thing to be invited into the presence of the Lord again. It is uh, getting closer to spring, and as the, uh, the wind is picking up out there, hopefully no one gets blown away. Uh, there were some branches out on the road on the way here, but we're we're just glad that uh, winter is coming to an end. Amen. And today we're going to be talking about prayer. How many of you raise your hand if you think maybe prayer might be a good thing for you to think on today? If you remember when Jesus was in the temple, uh, he cast out the money changers and those who were basically making merchandise of the people of God. And he said that my house is not supposed to be a den of thieves, but it's supposed to be what? A house of prayer. And may we today, as we go before the Lord in prayer, remember uh, that we need God, that God has not wound the watch uh, of the world and just let it go, but that he interacts with us, that he listens to our prayers, and that we serve a personal God. Amen? Psalm 86, uh, David lays this out here. David said, a prayer of David, bow down thine ear, O Lord, and hear me, for I am poor and needy. That's a good way to start. Right, Sam? We start off understanding that we come to God not like, Oh Lord, let me show you what I got to offer you today. I can really help you out. I got something I can bring to you. But we come before the Lord and we say, Lord, hear me, for I am poor and needy. Preserve my soul, soul for I, Lord, am holy. O thou, my God, save thy servant that trusts in thee. Be merciful to me, O Lord, for I cry unto thee daily. Rejoice the soul of thy servant, for unto thee, O Lord, do I lift up my soul. For thou, Lord, art good and ready to forgive and plenteous in mercy unto all that call upon thee. Give ear, O Lord, unto my prayer and attend the voice of my supplications. In the day of my trouble I will call upon thee, for thou wilt answer me. Among the gods there is none who is like thee, O Lord, neither are there any that work like thee. 
All nations whom thou hast made shall come and worship before thee, O Lord, and shall glorify thy name. For thou art great, and you do wonderful things, and thou art God alone. Teach me thy way, O Lord, and I will walk in truth, and unite my heart to fear thy name. I will praise thee, O Lord my God, with all of my heart, and I will glorify thy name forevermore. For great is thy mercy toward me, and thou hast delivered my soul from the lowest hell. O God, the proud are risen against me, and the assemblies of violent men have sought after my soul, and have not set thee before them. But thou, O Lord, art a God full of compassion, gracious, long-suffering, and plenteous, and mercy and truth. Turn to me and have mercy on me. Give thy strength unto thy servant, and save the son of thine handmaiden. Show me a token for good, that they which hate me may see it and be ashamed. Be thou, because thou, Lord, hast helped me and comforted me. Let us pray. Lord, we have gathered together as an invitation from you to come into your presence. And Lord, we ask, Lord, that as we come before you, covered in our sins, that you would cleanse us, Lord. We ask that we come before you hungry today, that you would feed us from heaven. For Lord, we long to hear your words, for your words to us are sweeter than honey and the honeycomb. And Lord, we hunger and thirst after righteousness, knowing that we shall be filled by you today. Speak to us and change us that we might be more like you. In Christ's name we pray. And all the church said? remain standing for just a few more moments as I read to you my text from the book of Psalms, Psalm number 5. I'm going to read verses 1 through 3, but I'm going to preach on the whole psalm. To the chief musician upon Neholoth, a psalm of David. Give ear to my words, O Lord, and consider my meditation. Hearken unto the voice of my cry, my King and my God, for unto thee will I pray. My voice shalt thou hear in the morning, O Lord. In the morning will I direct my prayer unto thee, and I will look up. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we pray today that you would speak to us as you have for thousands of years through this psalm. You gave it to David at a very difficult time in his life. But it's those difficult times that are a constant reminder to us of our great need for you. Lord, I pray today that as we would glean from this, Lord, that our hearts uh, would be joined with yours and understand that Our weakness is no difficulty for you, but in our weakness, you are made strong. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You may be seated. We've only begun our odyssey through the book of Psalms. And if you remember in Psalm 1, we learned about the blessed man. Everybody say, the blessed man. man. The blessed man of Psalm 1... Uh, is basically a summary of the entire book of Psalms. It is a 
the doctrine that those that follow after God, that God knows them, He sees them, He loves them, and He blesses them, but the ungodly are not so. Psalm 2 we learned, which is a really a continuation of Psalm 1 as it is kind of married together, we learn about the Messiah. We learn about that God has a great future for the blessed man, but who is the blessed man more than Christ himself? Amen? They rage against him, but they must do what? Kiss the son, lest he be angry with you and vexed in his sore displeasure. In Psalm 3, we remember the psalm that David wrote in the time of great trouble in his life over his son Absalom. We remember that he was in great, great trouble. And it was not just any kind of trouble. It was trouble that he caused himself. He did not do right by Bathsheba and Uriah. He did not do right by his own children, by his daughter Tamar. And there was great, uh, horrible consequences in his life. And so we learned that even in the midst of the trouble that we cause ourselves, Stephen, that there is rest. Amen? Right? And then in Psalm 4, we learned about morning rest, that when the trouble is over, that we still can uh, come to God and rest. And not only are we rested from the weariness of the night, but in the morning there is this special quiet place before the Lord, not when we're not necessarily tired, but when we wake up, Luke, and and we're there in those rare occasions where we don't have anything to do and anywhere to go. And we can just sort of sit there and meditate on the beauty of God's holiness. So that takes us very nicely. It dovetails nicely into what I am calling Psalm 5. I'm calling it morning prayer. Because what else would you do? Not only would you commune with the Lord upon your bed there, but you would make your petitions known to God. That's what prayer is. Praise is when we thank Him and and when we, we adore Him. But prayer is when we ask God for something. And sometimes we don't even know what to ask for. Amen? And that's what David's talking about here in Psalm 5. 19th century Reformed Baptist preacher called the Prince of Preachers, Charles Spurgeon, he wrote these words. He said, the morning is the fittest time for intercourse with God. An hour in the morning is worth two in the evening. While the dew is on the grass, let grace drop upon the soul. Let us give to God the mornings of our days and the mornings of our lives. Prayer should be the key of the day and the lock of the night. Devotion should be both the morning star and the evening star. Those are some good words. Amen? Honestly, when I read those words from a sermon that he preached in his, uh, in his church, they were a call to me for retreat from my ever-present temptation to carry the weight of the world upon my own shoulders. A call that I find I need more and more each day as I realize how much I need the grace of God's presence. Amen? You know, I had thought that as I got older, I would need it less. I really did. That's how I thought of it. I thought I would grow stronger and more spiritually with great stature 
and more and more I would need God less and less. I know this sounds ridiculous. It's crazy, but it's how I thought. I thought, I'm like a little kid, and I'm going to grow up, and I'm going to be stronger and stronger and mightier and mightier man of God. That's the way I thought. But Andy, it doesn't work like that. What happens over time is you realize your weakness more. You understand it more. God's strength is made perfect. How? In our strength? No. God's strength is made perfect in weakness. I just didn't understand that. Maybe some of you are young and you're thinking, later on I'll be strong. Later on I'll do great things for God. doesn't work like that. I cried out to the Lord when I was feeling this call on myself. And I said, Lord, save me from the illusions of my strength. Lord, save us all. In the past few days, I have needed to lift many very heavy objects. Hold things up with all my strength. We lifted a, a sink that weighed several hundred pounds over and over. And Benjamin's thinking, what do you mean? We. It was mostly Benj. But it was hard. I lifted up things that we bought and things that we were doing and working. And I was just like, ugh. And when you get old, you'll find out that it kind of wears you out. At one point, I thought I was going to need a sling on my shoulder. I was kind of, kind of walking around like this, you know, thinking, yikes, you know. But eventually, it kind of went away. But, like, it really hurt it. I used to be able to just grab things and, rah, you know, and lift them. And Perhaps there will be a time when I get my strength back like I used to have. But for now, God has been using... What's going on in my body to remind me that it's okay not to be able to do everything myself. In fact, all the truly good and lovely things that I've accomplished in my life have never been done by my own efforts, but through the strength of the Lord and by His grace. As men, we forget this. We forget this, and so we become discouraged. Why? Because we think, how can I do this? Well, that's really not the question. How can I do this is not the question. The, the question is, Jonathan... How is God going to do this? But we ask ourselves, how are we going to do it? And at the very thought of it, we are worn down. Anybody ever, when you get, when you get worn down, you ever get a little bit discouraged because you just think, well, how is it all going to get done? <sighs> Steve, you're wagging your head. You're like, you know, you know, I'm only this old. Man, I got to take care of my wife and I got to provide for my family and Oh, this old box. This happens to us, right? When we get tired. That which is born of the flesh, though, is truly just flesh. And that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Folks, what we should be seeking is not physical strength or endurance or even strength of great character. But what we should be seeking is the spiritual life. The Bible says that... Uh, that if we walk in the flesh, we will not do anything good, but we will do what? If we walk in the flesh, we will fulfill the desires of the flesh. But if we walk in the Spirit, we will do the work of God. And so how can we walk in the Spirit? It's when we realize that in our own physical abilities, there is pretty much not much that's going to be happening, but that we need God. In my early days of starting this church nearly two decades ago when I was, I was nearly run aground by the dark magic of Arminianism, I worked with a frantic ardor 
Day and night I worked. Some of you knew me or met me at that time, but you may not realize what it was doing to me. Spurned on by the love of lost and uh, the hopeless but guided by bad theology, I cast my nets long, all night long, over and over, only to find them empty of what my soul had longed for until Jesus came and called me to cast them on the other side. That's what he does. He lets us wear ourselves out. He lets us put all of our effort into it. You wouldn't have thought the disciples needed that lesson. If, if, if God had told them, you know, all night long, you're going to throw the net, you're going to pull the net, you're going to throw the net, you're going to pull the net, you're going to throw the net, you're going to pull the net all night long, and I'm going to have you do that, and you're not going to catch any fish. So that way you'll remember this lesson. How many of you think the disciples just said, oh, that'll be great, we'll do that? No. Every time they threw it, they thought something was going to come. Every time they pulled it, they looked for a fish, but there weren't any. And Christ did this to them on purpose. And he walks up and Luke and he goes, did you catch any, catch any fish? <laughs> you know, he knew, right? Catch anything? No. You know, what you, you know what you guys should do now? I'm not a fisherman. I'm a carpenter. I know I'm your teacher. I know I'm not a fisherman. I don't know. You should probably throw your nets on the other side. Could you imagine what went on in their hearts and minds? Their arms are like this. They're hanging down. Oh, really? But what do they do? They obey him. They cast him on the other side. And now they can't even hardly pull it in. Why did he do it? He did it for us, folks. Our efforts. We can throw nets. We can pull nets. God doesn't need us to do that. He knows where the fish are. He knows how to catch the fish. Just like he knew where the coin was. They were worried. Where would they get the money to pay their taxes? He said, yeah, go down there and catch a fish. And where was the coin? It was in its mouth. What was he showing them? I can make gold coins out of the air. I can put them in fish's mouths. I can make a, a, a whole bunch of fish appear right here. And what do you want to do? You want to run around and throw them and cast them and worry yourself frantic and go, oh no, how can we do it? You want to look at the 5,000 and go, we just don't have enough to take care of them. And he goes, yeah, that's right. You don't. You never have. You don't have anything for them. I have it all. And so they live their lives. Jesus trying to teach them this. Keep working, God told me, but you know that, that I work. Your efforts alone, your abilities alone will yield no spiritual fruit. I was teaching eight Bible studies a week, nonstop seeking, teaching, going to court, helping people deal with arrest warrants, child custody issues, fixing broken windows, confronting gang members and drug addicts, feeding the hungry, find, trying to find homes for homeless people, abused people. The more we did, the more there seemed to be to do. There was no end to it, but I found quickly there was an end to something, Andy. There was an end to me. And in the end of all of it, I was just like, ah. Oh, I could only do so much, and the more I did, the weaker I got. I had a family and small children, and we didn't have a lot of money. It was hard. I remember coming to the end of me. I remember that day very clear. What I'm about to say may sound funny to some of you, but it may give you a key into the fact that God has given me a great heart of love for people. I was certain that after having preached to others that I was going to become, Brother Steve, a castaway. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 9. He said, at least while I preached to others, he said, I might myself become a castaway. I didn't really understand what he meant, but 
I began to see that my well was only so deep and that giving more than I had to give in the end, my family and I would pay an unthinkable price. I had become convinced, Andy, that I was going to be lost. I was going to go to hell. And I literally kind of weighed it against, if I go to hell, but look how many people could go to heaven. I literally thought that thought. And you know what, Derek? I, I decided it was worth it. I'm going to go to hell so others can go to heaven. I, I literally, no joke, made that decision. Because I wasn't going to quit. Folks, that's a foolish, foolish, foolish decision. It's one made of seriously flawed and bad theology. Nobody goes to heaven because of Mark Robinette. I remember how God washed the scales from my eyes and led me to understand that he was at work and my work was just to have faith in, in his work. Just like I mentioned before, I'm just tired thinking about trying to raise money to build a building in Yangon. It's because my thinking's messed up. I should be excited. I'm going to get a set in this building. I'm going to get a worship in this building. And God's picked me to build it. That's what we do, though. We look at what God gives us to do, and we just go, how can it be done? How can I do it? My work was just to tell others about what he had done and lead them to his cross. The work I could do, that's the work I can do. That's what you can do. This was an easy yoke and a light burden, and it gave me rest. But now these many years later, as God has made me useful to many, it seems I have forgotten this grand lesson. And I need to learn it again. God works. He's kind enough to me to let me work for Him and see many good things done in His name. But He isn't asking for me to do more than I can do. God is leading me to trust Him more and myself less. To speak less my own thoughts and lead everyone I can to His. We need God. We need God desperately. Would be to God that we knew this all day, every day. Instead of just knowing it in our dark hours of confusion and weakness, when we can't see the light of what's coming next, then we turn to God and we go, Oh God, I need you, Lord. Why don't we do this every day? Because we forget it every day. Just like the children of Israel forgot who led them out of Egypt. Just how the children of Israel forgot that the houses they lived in, they didn't build. That the vineyards they were reaping from, they didn't plant. Because we're so broken and we're so sinful that when we walk around in our blessings, we think that we built them ourselves. Instead of understanding that he gave them to us in a loving hand, he told the children of Israel, it's all yours. You can have it. I'll drive out the inhabitants of the land just go. I, no one will be able to stand before you. But what did they do each time? They would look and assess, can we do this? Some would say, no, we can't. And then nobody would. But then there were those who would say, yes, we can. How many want to be a yes, we can? And the yes, we can isn't through emails and Facebook and and talking to everybody and, and trying to get everyone rallied. No, no. God will do it. God will do it. Now, that doesn't mean we don't do anything, but we don't do anything. 
as if somehow the weight of it is going to just crush us. Would be to God we would long for His voice every moment instead of leaning to our own understanding. Would be to God that we started and ended every day confessing these truths and living in reliance on them. This is where I believe Psalm 5 is guiding us, inviting us, calling our hearts. He's calling us to morning prayer. Everybody say morning prayer. Psalm 5 begins this. It says, to the chief musician upon... Naholoth, a psalm of David. Now, Psalm 5 was given to the chief musician, the music leader, with instructions for a peculiar instrument to be played. In fact, this is the only place in the Bible that this word's ever mentioned. And the psalm is so ancient that, that, that Tim, no one even knows what it means. But it comes from the Hebrew derivative of to bore out, like you would bore out a flute or a pipe. And so most commentators believe that that's what it is. Just as Psalm 4 denotes all manner of stringed instruments like we talked about the last time we were together, Niholoth directs the music leader of Psalm to be accompanied by some sort of a wind instrument. Whether or not it is correct, it sounds to me appropriate for the subject matter. As I read the psalm for you, hear the light sounds of Hannah's flute, the breathy melody that takes us into our prayer closet with God at the start of a new day. Can you just go there with me for a minute? Give ear to my words, O Lord. Consider my meditation. Hearken unto the voice of my cry. My King and my God, for unto thee I will pray. My voice shalt thou hear in the morning. Hear that lightness, that, that beauty, that... It's the opposite of stress and anxiety, is it not? Because that's where God is taking us. Rest. What did Jesus do? Jesus said, no, no, take my yoke upon you and learn of me for I am meek and lowly in heart and you shall find rest. The Bible says he, he, that my yoke is easy, my burden is light. And the Bible says that there remains a rest for the people of God for he that's entered into this rest has ceased from his own works. Right? You see, that's really what serving God is all about. It's about going, I've come to the end of me. And the beginning of what God can do. Amen? Steve, I was so encouraged by being with you in Myanmar. I watched God work through this man. My buddy, we giggled, we laughed. But God's given him a heart. I know that I need to tell Steve what to do, not because he's so smart and he knows what to do, but because I see God at work in his life. 
And so what does he do? He's like, he's looking for needs. He's meeting people. He's making friends. Why? Because that's what God's made, Steve. It's like I sent Kyle to Denton. He went last week again and preached. And, and I didn't have to tell Kyle what to do. Just go, Kyle. Next thing you know, Kyle's like, oh, man, those people, they need this. And, oh, I told them that. And, and God's word's leading them here. And I'm like, that's right. What do I do? What do I tell them? Don't worry about it, Kyle. Just go. Kyle, you're going to find out what you need to do. Why? Because God is making him into a gift. Amen? When God gives you the gift, you don't have to work that hard at it. You don't need to take 20-year course to figure out how to be what God is making you to be. You just got to get to the end of you and say, Lord, I don't know how to do this, but you want me to do it. Lord, help me. I, I, don't, I have no wisdom. I can't bring anybody any wisdom. Lord, you know what I'll do? I don't have anything to give them. I'll just give them your word. I don't have any words of my own to give. I wish we knew the tune. But we don't. But at the same time, why should we wish for that which God has deliberately not given us? Right? Perhaps the perfect tune for this psalm of morning prayer could be born here at Foundation Church. Perhaps it could be born in the heart of Hannah. You know, this is how it works. Right? Isn't it an amazing thing that somewhere a long time ago in the midst of someone's pain, Andy, somebody began to go, because He lives, I can face tomorrow. How many have found yourself singing that? I have. Because He lives. All fear is gone. Oh, because I know. Oh, He holds the future. Life is worth the living just because He lives. You see, I could say because He lives, I can face tomorrow, but that's not the same. Yes, because He lives. Can you feel the difference? David brought something like that. We have something like that. And I don't know what tune it was, but one day it could be born right here. And for 500 years, Luke, people in churches, people in their prayer closets everywhere will be doing that. Wouldn't that be a great part of the body of Christ to be a part of? God has given so many of you the gift of music. Are any of you praying that a song would be born from your heart that would be on the lips and in the hearts and in the minds of the church? Might seem like a silly thing. Oh, it's not silly at all. We sang Amazing Grace. We know that that is an anthem from the heart of a, a man who was a slave trader and saw himself as the desperate, undeserving worm that he was. And what amazing it was. What an amazing thing it was. That God saved him by his grace. Psalm 5 was written to call us to that special place with God of communion upon our beds as we start our day. Give ear to my words, O Lord. Consider my meditation. David prays that God will hear him and that he would do even more than that. That he prays that God would search his heart. 
consider my meditation. Do you know sometimes we, we, we don't really even know what to pray. We don't even know what to think. It's okay. Heath, it's okay to, to sit alone with God and just go... I just don't know God. That's what David's saying. Not only hear what I'm asking, but Lord, can you just, can you hear what I can't even say? Save me, deal with me, sustain me in my difficulty. But because we have God's Holy Spirit living in us, we have what David didn't have. We have help in our prayers that David didn't have. There were times when David had it, but you have it all the time. Do you know this? Do you know that when Christ died, he said, I'm not going to leave you. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit who will come to you. He will comfort you. He will help you. And he said, I am here with you, but he shall be in you. Folks, that's not the way it was for our forefathers. You may wonder why they were different than you. Romans 8 says, likewise, the Spirit, Romans 8, 26, likewise, the Spirit helps our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit itself makes intercession for us with groanings that cannot be uttered. And He searches the hearts. He knows the mind of the Spirit. He maketh intercessions for the saints according to the will of God. He's saying there are times when you don't know what to pray for yourself and you don't know what to pray for other people. You might say, I don't know how to pick out good words or I don't really know what to say before God. And he says, you don't need to. You can even just groan before the Lord. And the Spirit knows what the mind and the will of God is and He will pray, Lord, what is the will of God for Steve Foisy or for Sam or for Luke? That's what God does. So don't worry about when you go into prayer going, you know, I, my prayers aren't really great. God doesn't care. He doesn't even need you to have words. How many of you could groan? Oh, God. Lord, touch my brother Jeff. Lord, I know he wants to be a good husband and a good father and, and a good deacon maybe one day in this church, Lord. Oh, God. I don't know what to pray. God knows. It goes on in Romans 8 as it tells us that the Spirit knows the will of God to say that we know all things work together for good to them that love God. Sometimes when we pray and we can't see the good in what is happening, God can see it. They couldn't see the good in throwing their nets on the other side all night long. Oh, I'm tired. I have no more strength. God, oh, I, this is going to be good. One hour, two hour, three hour. Their arms are hanging down. Let me show you. I'm going to show you the good in this because in the end, when I tell them to cast the nets on the other side, they're going to find out and they're never going to forget what it means to obey me and follow me and that I will bring the fish. We know that all things work together for them that love God are the called according to his purpose. Right now it's the purpose of God, Josh, for you to be unemployed, for you to be uncertain about what it is that you're going to do to earn a living for your little family that God has given you. That's what God wants for you. Why does he want it? I don't know. Because he's going to give you a great, better job or because he's going to make sure you never have another job. I don't know. But God knows. Amen? 
Who knows? And what are you going to do? In, in the meantime, you're going to say, hey, Lord, I've, I've done my best. Lord, you know, you know what I need. Maybe you take your time and instead of putting all your effort into working and working and working on things that God is going to do for you anyway, and maybe just give him some of your time. For whom he did foreknow, he did predestinate to conform to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, he called. And whom he called, he justified. Whom he justified, he glorified. God is at work in you to perform all of his holy will. What shall we say to these things? To what things? To the things you're praying about. To the things you don't understand. To the things you're groaning about. To the situations that you can't see any good in. What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? You're in your prayer closet. They've, maybe they fired you because you're, you, you stand up for what God's Word says. Stand up with your chest out and say, if God is for me, who can be against me? If God wants to give me money, who can keep it out of my hand? No one. If God has opened the door, what man can shut it? And if God has shut it, can I kick it down? No. What has God brought to me? If God be for us, who can be against us? Who shall lay any charge to the elect of God? It's God who justifies. It is He who condemns. Who is going to condemn if not God? Is it Christ that died, yea, rather risen from the dead, who is even at the right end of God, who makes intercession for us? He's praying for us. When we go into our closets for our morning prayer, we need to know that we have an intercessor who's praying for us. We can join Him. Paul goes on to say, who shall separate us? He's talking about these things that we get terrified about. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation? So this horrible thing that's happening in your land? Shall this great famine? Shall, shall tribulation? Shall distress? Shall persecution? Shall famine? Shall nakedness? Shall... Why does he name all this stuff? Because you know what we're like, Sam? We're like, if, if the thing we're going through wasn't on the list, we'd be going, it didn't say that. So he says many things in a row here. As it is written, we are killed all day long. We are counted as sheep to the slaughter. Saying, you know what? Whether it is, like Paul said, to, to live is Christ, but to die is gain. I will give myself to be offered up to God, whether it be by my life or my death, whatever it is, I'm giving myself. How many people want to love God like that? I do. And that's what it is coming to the end of you. In the beginning of Him. He said, nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. I am persuaded. Can't you hear him pounding the pulpit? I'm persuaded that neither life, nor death, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers. I mean, he gets carried on here, doesn't he? Nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature. Don't you think he's making quite a list here? He's letting you know there's nothing outside the purview of God. There's no problem that is too big for God. There's no difficulty that he can't solve. And if when you're praying and you're calling on him and even your words fail you, you can groan and he will pray for you. And if it is your will to go to the cross like it was for Christ, if it was your will to sweat, as it were, great drops of blood, as you are pressed in the olive press of Gethsemane, if that is the will of God, he will sustain you to the cross and you will accomplish what God has for you.
That's why we pray, why we groan, why we long to be in God's presence. You know why? Because He hears us. David cried unto the Lord in nearly 80 Psalms knowing that he belonged to God and had been anointed and chosen by God. And so have we. He cries unto God with the personal words of ownership, not the words of remote transcendence. Hearken unto the voice of my cry, my King and my God. He doesn't just say, I'm calling upon the God of the universe, the great transcendent one upon his throne. He said he's my God and he's my King. Hear my cry, O God. Even as our Lord himself cried out, my God, my God, to his father, as he agonized with what was he was doing in and through him, Jesus cried this as his final night came before his world became eternal mourning. My God, my God. Jesus cried this as his final night came before the world became eternal mourning in the resurrection. Sometimes God seems to forsake us in our circumstance because our death and resurrection are what's called for. David says in verse 3, My voice shalt thou hear in the morning, O Lord, in the morning will I direct my prayer unto thee, and I will look up. Oh, there's some good things in this verse. I hope you don't miss them. In the words of the Hebrew, he understands that this quote, in the morning will I direct my prayer. We really don't have time to dig into all this, but if you want to dig into something this week, something real interesting, you can go a little bit further here than I can go for you. God's people for thousands of years had a fixed set time of prayers. You know this? Many significant things happened at these exact times. If you, if you put all of your Bible knowledge together and you listen for these scriptures, all of a sudden, Steve, they'll just start calling to you. You'll be like, hey, that's right. Oh, yeah, that did happen. Remember Daniel? Daniel, Daniel wasn't the uh, exception. The people of God, as a rule, for thousands of years, called unto God and they had time of prayer. Do you guys know this? They had exact times of the day. We don't, need, we don't even think about it. We don't do this. I don't know why we don't do it, but we don't. I'm not trying to tell all of you you have to do it, but I'm reading, and the more I'm reading, I'm wondering why I don't do this. In fact, the crucifixion happened at the hour of prayer. Pentecost happened at the hour of prayer. Peter and John went up to the temple at the hour of prayer and there was the man lame at the gate why because they were going why were they going because they were going to do what they were going to pray you'll find that uh uh peter was praying when he had his vision when was he praying he was praying at the hour of prayer it gives the exact time pentecost we know the exact time because remember they complained about him and they said you guys are drunk and they said no we're not seeing it is but the third hour You'll see this all throughout the scripture, but you'll sort of miss this and you'll go, why are these things happening at the third hour, Tim? 
Why are they happening at the sixth hour, Tim? And why are they happening at the ninth hour? Because that's when the people of God prayed at 9 a.m., at noon, and at 3 o'clock for thousands of years. That's what they did. And so when David says, O Lord, in the morning will I direct my prayer, the Hebrew grabs a piece of the morning sacrifice offered by the priest at 9 o'clock. Why? He offered it at 9 o'clock because that's when God told him to offer it. And so what would the people do at home while the priests were offering their sacrifice at 9 o'clock for the morning sacrifice? The people of God were offering their morning prayer to God. They saw that as the priest would cut up and would burn, as the incense would go up, the smoke from it would go up to God. It was their prayers going up to God. We don't see this because we don't see sacrifice. We see it, we see it in Myanmar. You go into a Buddhist temple and they light these candles and they light these things that they blow out and smoke comes off of them and for them it's their prayers going up to God. We miss the fact that they're copying off of what is in true biblical worship for thousands of years. The smoke ascending to God was the prayers of the saints. It's in the book of Revelation. The prayers of the saints come up in the nostrils of God. Are you contributing to the smoke? Are you contributing to the aroma, the incense to God of the prayers. Are your prayers going up to God? Are you making them? Are you starting your day offering to God the sacrifice of praise? I don't have time to go into it, but the days were divided into 12 hours and you often hear the language. But you might miss it unless you lay it out and look at it. As I said, coinciding with the prayer. There was this sacrifice. David's word, will I direct my prayer? Have their roots in the language like the priest? Will I direct my prayer? Will I, will I orderly put out before the Lord my sacrifice? That's what, that's what the words mean when he says, will I direct my prayer? Will I, will I be organized? Will I think it through? Will I offer it the way God has prescribed to me? And then I love what happens next. Unto thee I will look. So what did the priest do, Laura? They, offered their sac- they, they put their sacrifice out there and then they did what? They looked up. And they're like, is fire coming down? That's what they did. They would offer the sacrifice, the the Yom Kippur, their annual Day of Atonement. They would put their sacrifice and they would wait and fire would come down from heaven. That's how they knew God had accepted the offering that they had made. And so that's what's pictured here. So here we are. We're in our prayer closet and we are in our bed or wherever we're at and we offer our prayer unto the Lord. And what do we do next? We go... What are you going to do, God? What are you going to send? You guys remember Elijah prayed that it would not rain, and for the space of three years and six months, it did not rain upon the earth. Do you remember what happened at the end of that, Jeff? He began to pray that it would rain, right? And as he began to pray, he would send out his servant, and he'd go, what do you see? And he'd go out there, and he'd look. And he's telling his servant, he'd go look in the sky. Why? Well, I prayed, that's why. Okay. I don't see anything. There's nothing out there. He said, well, you should go back. Why? Well, because I prayed. Right? I offer my prayer, and then I do what? 
Look up. Go look again. Well, I don't see much of anything. I just see a cloud the size of a man's head. Woo! I hear the sound of abundance of rain, he said. Why? Elijah knew what it was to offer and direct his prayer and to look up. Right? Isn't that what it says to do in the book of James? It says that's what we should do. Pray and expect from God to answer your prayer. What does James 1 say? The man who doesn't believe anything is going to happen, nothing is going to happen. That's what it says in James chapter 1. Let not the man think he shall receive anything of the Lord. It says when we pray, we must believe. For God is the rewarder of those that diligently seek Him. God, people who believe what they pray and they look for it to happen, it happens. I'm going to pray for a building to be built in Yangon. I'm going to pray for lost people in Mount Sterling and Five Points and around to come to Jesus. And I'm going to go look for them because they're coming. That's how it works. When we pray, we should look up for the answer and not be surprised by it, but be surprised when it doesn't come. Double-minded men who doubt God will hear. They will have their prayers answered according to their faith. James tells us, let not that man think he shall receive anything of the Lord. David then moves into what he knows. This is what faith is, what we know. And you might go, faith is just, no, faith is what you know. Faith is coming to know something, to know that God will be there that he will not leave us that he will not forsake us that he will have his holy will that he will conquer the earth that everything will be put under his feet that's what faith is knowing that that is more true than what we see in front of our face what our eyes tell us tries to exalt itself above god's word but david begins to say in his prayer what he knows psalm 1 has already told us what he knows oh yes god has told us what the blessed man can accept who and what awaits the ungodly? He knows it, right? I'm going to quote it for you. You, you quote it for me. Those of you who want can say it with me. See, he laid it out. David knew this. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly. What kind of man? The man who doesn't walk in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of, nor sitteth in the seat of the, but his delight is in the. And in his law doth he meditate day and night. That man shall be like what? He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither. And whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. What did David know? He knew that's what kind of man he was. He was the man who was going to be like the tree planted by the rivers of water. This is what David's about to pray right now. You're about to hear it. He knew it to be true. What is he doing? He's praying what he knows. That's what we do, Steve. You're like, okay, I'm feeling like a dirt ball. I'm feeling like nothing's good, but that ain't true. The circumstances look around me. I feel powerless. I feel helpless. I see a future before me that is so uncertain. I don't know. That's not true. Let me tell you what's true about me. I'm the blessed man. I will be like a tree planted by the rivers of water. I will bring forth my fruit of my season. My leaf will not wither, and whatsoever I doeth will prosper. But let me tell you, the ungodly are not so. Because that's part of our problem, too. We look at them. Look at them. They've got it all. They're going to have it. They're going to overcome me. They're going to beat me. They're going to beat me down. No, they're not. Mm -mm. The ungodly are not so. They are like the chaff, which the wind driveth away. 
The ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. David is encouraging himself in what is apparent in his eyes. Because what's apparent in his eyes at this time, I can guarantee you, is that the ungodly are not going to perish. In fact, the ungodly are going to beat him. They're going to overcome him. Because sometimes that's what we do, right? We go, this isn't going to work out. This is going to be good. So what does David do? He begins to pray what he knows. Let me tell you. When the devil comes and lies to you about who you are, Jeff, you tell him who you are. I'm the man. I delight in the law of the Lord, in God's law. Meditate day and night. I'm not, I don't want to follow the sinners. and the. I don't want to be the scorn. I don't want any of that, Lord. Oh, my delight is in you, Lord. That's what David lays out to remind himself what may not seem true in front of his face at the time, but what is truer still. This is what we should do in prayer. Pray what we know God has said. You know, it's a wonderful thing to know God's word because you can pray it. I I can't count the times I've prayed. Proverbs chapter 3, I've prayed this over and over. Trust in the Lord. With all thy heart, lean not to thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. Come on, Mark. Be not wise in thine own eyes. Fear the Lord. Depart from evil. It's going to be health to your navel. It's going to be marrow to your bones. Yeah, Lord. So shall my bars be filled with plenty. My presses shall burst out with new wine. My son, despise not the chastening of the Lord. Neither be weary in his correction. For whom the Father loves, he chastens even a father or son in whom he delights. Oh, I know this isn't pleasant. I know I don't like it. I know it seems like bad things are happening, but no, it's not. What is happening in my life is happening for my sanctification. What is happening in my life is for the advancement of the kingdom of God. That's what's happening in my life. I'm not going to listen to what the devil lies and tells me about the pointless nature of my sufferings because I don't have any pointless suffering. All my suffering is to make me what God is making me. All of my suffering is a journey to where I am going. Everything God is doing is for me because he loves me. I am the called according to his purpose. Pray that. And this is, what, this is how David says it in. So he goes, For thou art not a God that has pleasure in wickedness, neither, neither shall evil dwell with thee. The foolish will not stand in your sight. Thou hatest all them that work iniquity. Thou shalt destroy them. Do you see what he's doing? He's saying just what it says in Psalm 1. He's reminding himself, God is going to deal with those people. Who does vengeance belong to, Andy? God. The foolish shall not stand in your sight. Thou hatest all the workers of iniquity. Thou shalt destroy them that speak lies. The Lord will abhor the bloody and the deceitful man. In prayer, you need to be saying to yourself, that's not me. You need to be saying to the devil, hey devil, that's not me. World, that's not me. I am the blessed man. I'm God's child, his servant, his subject of his kingdom. He will not leave me. He will not abandon me. Or his word concerning me. He began the good work in me and he is able to complete it. Reminiscent of the ancient words of our forefather Joshua. Listen to verse 7. 
He said, but as for me, I will come into thy house in the multitude of thy mercy and in the fear I will worship toward thy holy temple. Can you hear what he's saying? He said, I'm not that guy, but let me tell you the guy I am. I'm, but as for me, everybody say, but as for me. You guys remember Joshua saying this? And Joshua, he's like, you know what? You can go and you can, hey, today let's decide what's going to happen. Whether you're going to serve the gods of the Amorites in this land that you dwell. You can today choose you this day whom you will serve. He says, but as for me. Direct quoting Joshua. Joshua was before. He's quoting Joshua, but as for me. Can you, can you feel the power in this prayer? I'm not, the guy, I'm, not the, I'm not the pointless, sinful, lying guy who doesn't love God. I may be a sinner and I may be weak, but you said I'm your son. You said you're going to establish my kingdom forever, which he had told David. As for me, I will come into thy house and the multitude of their mercy. Sometimes you've got to tell yourself, I've got to go to, get up and go to church. Why? Because that's what I do. That's who I am. I'm a person of God. I'm a child of God. I'm coming in the house. I'm going to raise my hands. The devil will go, don't go raise your hands. You've, you've been bad this week. You know what? I'm going to raise my hands because God has washed them in his blood. I'm worse than you ever thought I was. But let me know. Let me tell you what. God has seated me in heavenly places in Christ. It's one of my favorite things. One of my favorite scriptures is out of Ephesians. God has already seated us. In heavenly places in Christ. Not one day when I do really, really good. Not one day when I do it all right. Not one day when I'm squeaky clean and repent right at the exact right moment. Five seconds before the rapture and I get to go. No, right now. Right now in my doubt, in my unbelief, in my difficulty, in my suffering. Right now I'm seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Above all principalities and powers and might and dominion. Whoa! As for me, I will come into the house. There's, he says, I will come into your house in the multitude of thy mercy. Everybody say, the multitude of God's mercies. I know I, I'm, not, I'm not a Hebrew scholar. I don't pretend to be. But sometimes the Hebrew just has good, these good things that you just can't get when you just... When you're just reading, you got to get it out of there. And so I got one for you. You guys want one? I'll give you the one. There's a word called chest, and it may be, you know, chased or whatever. I, I can't read. I, I play these things, but they go out of my brain. You ever do this online? You're trying to get it. How do you pronounce, you know, and it'll go chased or it'll go chest or whatever. I can't remember. But it's C-H-E-S-E-D, chest or chased or something like that. It is the word used here for mercy. It means loving kindness, covenantal faithfulness, loyal love. It is the true essence of the great commandment that says we are to love our neighbor as ourselves. It's saying that God loves us very deeply and very, un, uh, I don't know how to say, un, to say unselfishly with God, but somehow he does. The Jewish sages said that this grace was even greater than charity because charity had the idea that charity has the idea that maybe someone could return it. Like if I did something good for you, Tim, you could do what? You could do something good for me. But this, they had this saying of the sages, it is called chased shel amet. And it basically means to bury somebody, someone who has died, and, and you bury them and you do wonderful things for them. And you know what the idea is? The idea is that you can, they can never do anything for you. 
So here they are, they're gone. The flowers that you put out, the special love that you show. It's not like any of that is for anything, but out of what? Out of love for them. That's where this mercy is. God loves us. Like God doesn't need us to do anything for him. He doesn't need us to try to pay him back. We don't owe God something as in that we could pay it. What we owe to him, we could never pay. And that's okay. He doesn't need us to pay it. He didn't do it so we would repay him. That's what I love about the doctrines of grace. He's already done it for me. He already knows I can't pay him back. And he doesn't need me to. Oh, if we could love people like that. If we could love people like that, if we could understand God loves us like that. In 2 Corinthians 12, Paul wrote this. It seems to go very well with us. We read it earlier, but I want to kind of camp on it for a minute as I close. As I kind of close. This is my close before my close. Andy read it for us about where Paul said he's talking about himself. He's, he's, at, he's, he's in the, at the second, book of 2 Corinthians at the end of the book. He's talking about himself. He said, I will not glory, but in my infirmities. You see, he understood that he didn't have anything great to offer God. He just had himself to offer God. He understood that God wasn't looking at him and his abilities and his skills. And he realized he could never pay God back. But, but I, I loved what I really actually got convicted as Andy was reading about this, about a father. A father should be saving to leave something for his children, not expecting his children to take care of him. And I love what Paul says. He said, you won't need to take care of me. I want to take care of you. That's what, that's what I want to be able to do. He says, I will not glory but my infirmities, for though I would desire glory, I won't be a fool, but... I'll say the truth. I now forbear, lest any man should think me above that which seemeth to me lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of revelations that were given to me. God sent a thorn in my flesh. And you know what? Paul didn't understand what this was all about, but we do. I can't, I don't know the times in my life that I've read this scripture, that it's been the key to unlock understanding God that I would never understand. And Paul lived this so you and I can understand it. That's what, that's what it was all about. God kept sending a messenger of Satan, a thorn in the flesh, to buffet him so he would write these words to the Corinthians. The messenger of Satan buffeted me, lest I should be exalted above measure. For this thing I besought the Lord three times, that it might depart from me. He prayed over and over God. Now, the man who Paul had prayed, and you know people had been healed of everything under mankind, probably you know, raised from the dead, all kinds of things. And he's praying that God would deliver him from something and it won't happen. Wouldn't that be frustrating, Jeff? Like, like God, I've seen you use me. I've seen these amazing things, but, but it won't work. He's in jail, he's cold, he needs a coat, his eyesight's bad, he's having to write really big letters. Why, God? Why won't you answer my prayer? You've healed other people, why won't you heal me, Lord?
He said, God said, my grace is sufficient for thee. Paul is quoting God, spoke to his heart, not for him only, but for us today. My grace is sufficient for you. God's strength is made perfect in our weakness. What he says next is really just, I'm telling you, if we live like this, I don't even know what would happen. Most gladly, everybody say, most gladly. Now, it's the word of God, so it's true, but most gladly, I would rather glory in having horrible things happen to me. I mean, seriously? He said, I would rather be weak and infirmed and not have and not have my prayers answered that I think should be answered so that I can just be weaker and weaker. I mean, really? I, this, this is really a bit much for me. He says, I want to do this, that the power of Christ may rest on me. See, that's the rub right there. If, the, if it takes me suffering and being through difficulty and me not having my prayers answered so that Christ can be more powerful than me, then so be it. That's what he says. You read in the ESV and, and, and took out a word that, that is in here. I don't know if that word's better or worse. I don't know. But the King James is pretty plain. He says, therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities. I mean, honey, have we been taking pleasure in our infirmities or just having infirmities? <laughs> I take pleasure in them? I mean, really? So when I'm hungry and I'm having difficulty and my prayers aren't answered and I'm suffering and people hate me and bad things are going, oh, I take pleasure in those. Why does he say this? He says it because I have found that when I am this beat down, when I am this weak, when I realize that I don't have anything to give, that's when Christ has the most to give. Folks, I can tell you right now that when God smashes me, crushes me, and hurts me, and disciplines me, I preach the very best sermons I ever preach. You might be getting one of them today. I take pleasure in infirmity, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses. How can he take pleasure in them? He can take pleasure in them because he knows what they're there for. How many of you... Come on, don't raise your hand because you're lying. Take pleasure in the great difficulties that are coming upon you. You do not. If you do, you're better than me because I certainly don't. But I'm ready to right now. I'm ready to take some pleasure in them. If that's what it takes for God to work in me, I'm okay with that. That's what I ought to be okay with, at least, seems to me. For when I am weak... Then am I strong? If God's strength is made perfect in me and my weakness, I guess I just got a lot of weak days coming. Those are the days I want. I want to be weak. I'm tired of being strong, but not really being strong. Paul says, I've become a fool of my glory, and you've compelled me. I'll skip over because there's a bunch here, but he says, he said, I'm ready to not be a burden to you. I seek not anything from you. Children ought not to lay up for their parents, but their parents for their children. And I will gladly spend and be spent for you. Though the more abundantly I love you, the less I am loved.
probably hurt a lot. But he understood he needed less love. He needed less appreciation. He needed more difficulties. Why? Because that's what made him weak. Wow. That certainly answers a lot of my questions. Hannah, play for us. I'm going to read the whole Psalm 5. And let Lord lead you into the thoughts of morning prayer. To the chief musician upon Neholeth, the Psalm of David. Give ear to my words, O Lord, and consider my meditation. Hearken unto the voice of my cry, my King and my God, for unto thee will I pray. My voice shalt thou hear in the morning, O Lord, in the morning will I direct my prayer unto thee. And I will look up. For thou art not a God that has pleasure in wickedness. Neither shall evil dwell with thee. The foolish shall not stand in your sight. And thou hates all that work iniquity. Thou destroy them that speaks lies. And you abhor the bloody and deceitful men. But as for me. I will come into your house. In the multitude of thy mercy. And in thy fear I will worship toward thy holy temple. Lead me Lord in thy righteousness. Because of mine enemies. Make thy way straight before my face. For there is no faithfulness in their mouth. Their inward part of, is wicked. Their throat is an open sepulcher. They flatter with their tongue. Destroy them, O God. Let them fall by their own counsels. Cast them in the multitude of thy transgressions. For they have rebelled against thee. But let all those that put their trust in thee rejoice. Let them ever shout for joy. Because you defend them. And you love them that are joyful in thee. For the Lord will bless the righteous with favor and compass thou him with a shield. In Psalm 5, good. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we love you so much. We thank you for loving us with that, that mercy that knows that we cannot repay you but knows that all we really have is a need. We have nothing to offer you, Lord. But it shows your goodness that while we were yet without strength, that while we were dead in our trespasses and sins, you died for us. Lord, you paid debts we have no clue how much they are. And you have forgiven those debts. You've called us your child. You've, you've made us heirs with you. You've shared your glory with us. How can this be, O oh God? How can it be? In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Hello, this is Pastor Mark Robinette of Foundation Church. Thank you for taking the opportunity to listen to our audio sermons. We would love to hear from you if you have any comments, questions, or just to let us know how they served you. Go to our website, www.foundationfellowshipchurch.org, and send us a note. Thank you, and it's a pleasure to serve you.